We are the Cat's Whiskers, and this is my top line. Hello and welcome to the next edition of My Top Line. My name is Jonathan Bullard and I'm delighted to say that this edition has a northeast flavour to it as our guest is Andrew Turnbull. Hi Jono, how are you doing? You alright? Yeah, I'm good, thanks mate. This is an interesting one because all, all the ones we've done previously to this have all been one single team. But this stretches over quite a few teams because obviously your career watching ice hockey spreads quite a few teams, doesn't it? So just give us a flavour of the teams that you followed throughout your hockey watching career. Yes, I don't know whether I I could be classed as one of the unluckiest fans in in British ice hockey. First started off as a as a nipper in um in Durham, being taken along by my mum and dad, and then after after Durham unfortunately went, it was through to Newcastle with the Cobras as part of John Hall's Sport and Excellency, and then it followed in Newcastle to the River Kings and then the Jesters, and then there was a brief break before the the Vipers and came around for for quite a lot longer than. Than the predecessors, and funny enough, in a in a in a twist of fate, I now go to the arch rivals, the arch enemy of old, which is which is Whitley Warriors now. So your team has a flavour of all the teams you've watched, probably bar Whitley, because I think a, an original Durham fan <laughs> choosing a, a Whitley player would be seen as sacrilege, wouldn't it? I, I guess so. Yeah, what one one does feature, but yeah, it's 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 quite an odd mix. So. How old were you when you started going down to the Riverside Rink in Durham as it was then? From what you've told me, I understand you was just a like baby in arms. Yeah, pretty much. It, um, it wasn't unusual, you know, in, in those sort of times at Durham, you know, whole families and groups of friends, everything like that would, would go down to the rink. And my mum and dad had gone for years. My dad started going, I think, in around 1983 to the, the Wasps on a Sunday night. My auntie and uncle went down and they said, oh, are you going to come down to the ice hockey? My dad said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not that much into hockey or anything like that. I've never seen it. And he went and, you know, I think it's what happens to a lot of people. You go down, you get hooked on it. I hate to use that phrase. Went from then. You know, I, I grew up going to Durham. Got some great memories there as as, as a little kid. Yeah, there's some, there some great, great times there. I believe you actually was in the dressing room after a cup triumph once. Yeah, so so that was bang in the middle of the the Cathleen Cup '92. That my dad also, you know, being a fan, was a photographer, and he used to take photos of of the team and and sell them to the to the paper, which was the Northern Echo and the Sunland Echo papers like that, your local papers that that covered the Wasps, um, just to make a little bit of extra money. And he, he's pretty good. He's got some great images up in the loft, you know, all the negatives and things like that from the '80s and '90s. He took a photo of of one of the players. That I'll go on to mention, which is which is Mike Blazel, and he's my favourite as a as a kid, you know. And I went to get it signed, and my mum took us down to the changing rooms, and it was a big step. Well, it was a big step up then for me. I was only a, a small small kid of four or five, and uh, Paul Smith was at the changing room door during the interval of the Castle Eden Cup. And uh, my mum said, "Oh, can we get this photo signed for my son?" And he's like, "Oh, of course, yeah." So he picked us up. Took us in the dressing room. They're all singing at the time. Tina Turner, simply the best. All of them. Um, halfway through the game versus Whitley Bay, you know, in the final of the Cascade Cup. 
and um, I was taken down. There was Brabant and then Blaisdell right next to him in the corner and stuck on his knee. And I remember just, you know, chatting away. I can't really remember what about. And he signed signed the photo I've still got to this day. And then he gave us his stick and signed that as well, which I've also still got to the to this day, you know, um, one of my prized possessions from hockey over the years. So, yeah, that, that was a fantastic, fantastic early memory for me at Durham Rink. And they went on to win as well, which was often the case against Whitley, sometimes a little bit closer than, than you'd like against your rivals, but still a good, successful record against them. How old would you have been then, about three, four years old, something like that? Yeah, I was about four or five years old at the time. Yeah, about then. I remember as well on, on a Saturday he used to go and watch the mosquitoes with me dad, which was which was good, you know. Maybe thought thought I'd get on the ice one day with them, but unfortunately, I never did. It would have it would have been good, I'm sure. The popularity of of the wasps, you know, in the heyday, the rink was you were looking at 2,680 was the official um, capacity of the, of the old rink. Sometimes you'd be looking at 5,000 people, 6,000 people crammed into the rink, standing in the fire exits, standing you know in the stairs, in the aisles, everything like that. Packed into the Lindisfarne suite where <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, funny enough, you, you look at the old DVDs, um, of which I've done a you know a lot and, and videos originally growing up as a kid in the 90s, all, all these fantastic players that Durham had. And before the Lindisfarne suite was actually built, you know, when you had the pub looking out at one end of the rink, people were actually standing on top of that, standing on top of the bar area, you know, without any... You know, any safety there. You used to have your, your sort of fishing nets behind the goals, you know, each end of the goals. No plexi, just, just you know, just boards. So we sat pretty close to the uh, the wasp bench. It was just to the top right. You'd often get pucks coming in the crowd. My dad tried to catch a puck in the early days and broke his hand trying to get the puck. He didn't forget that one. And I don't think he's ever tried to catch another puck, you know, when he's been in the crowd over the, over the years <laughs> we've gone together. Players would you know, often end up over the boards in people's laps. You know, you were that close to the action at Durham and felt like you were part of the game, which you've got a lot of arenas now, which are, which are, you know, fantastic. I absolutely love the NIC Nottingham. So comfortable and, you know, some great views. But in some of the, you know, arenas around the country, you don't feel part of the game. And I think that's where the old rinks come into it. You know, you're on top of the action. You're a bit closer to them. Ice is a little bit smaller. You can get a good atmosphere up in there. So Durham was was recognised, you know, as a, an old player's teams hated going to, to visit. They didn't want to get filled in. It was very hostile. There's an even, even a corner, which I was kind of kept away from, called Heckler's Corner. And it was pretty much just filled full of people hurling abuse at opposition players all night, or even some imports playing for Durham that weren't very good. That didn't really last very long. Obviously, moving on, you took on the Newcastle teams when... The Wasps sadly were never to play in Durham again. They moved on to the Cobras, but you followed on and then followed those teams all the way through the Metro Radio Arena and then to Whitley Bay. Yeah, as, as I say, I must be one of the unluckiest fans um, in, in choice of teams. But yeah, it's, it's it's been a great journey, to be honest. It, it would have been amazing to see the Wasps, you know, pull through and, and survive, you know, at a modern day. But, you know, they've gone down as a, as a great sort of name and, in British ice hockey, but it has been good. I've seen a lot of different players and people say it's at the same club and it's it's not really, you know, club to club through the Cobras, River Kings, Jesters, Vipers. 
I've had a lot of good experiences home and away, met a lot of great friends, especially great people around the rinks and arenas that I've been to over the years. It's given us the opportunity to sort of travel the UK and, and, and Europe as well, you know, off our own back, you know, me and my dad. Met a lot of great people over that time and seen some great players, whether playing for, for the Newcastle teams or, or you know, opposition. So it's it's been great. I wouldn't well, I've changed it for the world. I don't know. I'll probably put myself in a hole there to answer that one. It, it has been good. It has been good. Well, let's crack on with your team and we'll start, as we always do, with the netminder. So, Tierney, who is your netminder? So, my netminder is Trevor Koenig. Trevor Koenig played for the Vipers in the successful team that won the playoffs and finished runners-up in the EIHL in 2005-06. Played only 58 games in that one season, but had an astonishing save average of over 92.5%, as well as a goals against average of less than 2.5%. So, Tony, he was a pretty special netminder. To be honest, you know, you, you talk about, you know, all the teams that have, have gone before and s- stuff like that and since. And he, he really stands out. There, there was, it was one of two, but he, 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 he does stand out. You look at imports now around the league and the majority maybe only last one season. You know, it's been like that for a little while and he did last one season, but he was solid. And he had a great save percentage, um, 92.6 over over 42 regular season games. And I think when he came in, I think he came from San San Diego goals. He was relatively unknown when when he first came in. And when he did, I think the first thing he noticed was the, the his gleaming white teeth. <laughs> he was, was famed for his gleaming white teeth behind the mask, you know. And maybe that glare put a couple of the shooters off. That's maybe pushed up his save percentage a little a little bit. Elite League runners-up in, in the Vipers' first ever season in the Elite. And in the Cup games, the save percentage got better. It was 93.2 and 93.1, so it's, it was really strong. You just felt like it was a wall. be a challenge for the opposition, whoever it was on the night, to score against them. And that's if you got past the likes of we- Jonathan Weaver, Jan Krajicek, Mel Angelstad for a short period, mm. and, and Rob Wilson as well. So you had a a formidable sort of defensive unit in front of him back in back in him up that season. But it was it was a great season that one. Um just coming up from the, the British National League to the Elite League. And it was a crazy season. Crazy, crazy season, you know, runners up behind Belfast with with Theo Fleury and it was fantastic in a way because going to Cobras and the River Kings and Jesters, you you're always the underdog and you're always bottom of the league hold, holding the others up. And this season it kind of just flipped. And you were you were beating Cardiff, you were beating Sheffield, you were beating Nottingham, and I, th- I think there was like a win or two against Belfast amongst that as well. And you just couldn't believe what you were seeing, you know. But saying that as well, that season it must have been the hardest team the Elite League might have ever seen. So you've got the likes of Payet, Cornish, Anglestad, and Ferone. If you look back at the stats, there's 17,000 penalty minutes. It's it's just unbelievable how how we really got anywhere. You know, that that season. So all I can put that down to is maybe intimidation factor on that. But, you know, you, you had a good mix. You had Patrico, Gominyuk, Corey Morgan, Krychek, all, all handpicked from the BNL by, you know, Rob Wilson, who was the coach then, and put them into an elite league team. And it all really clicked. Yeah, well, that season you also did really well in the Challenge Cup uh, as well, reaching the semi-finals and only losing out by one goal to get to the final. So you competed in every single competition. To, to be honest, I can remember going along to the Challenge Cup game there with Cardiff. You never see a one-nil game, 
Um, hardly ever. I think I've seen two one nil games in in a in a lifetime of hockey so far. And it was just so close. And I honestly thought would have made it the final that year. I know it was a little bit earlier on, but yeah, it was a, it was a shame. But Cardiff were a good team as well, and you know it was, it was good to miss out on them in the playoffs that year. Going back to Trevor Koenig and how good team was it when he he left after that just one season and then went to the Blaze and won a couple of championships with them. Yeah, it was it was a massive massive kick in the in the very gleaming teeth. <laughs> oh, it was good and it was disappointing. You know, you, you found like a diamond in the rough. I don't know. Don't know why that's the right phrase. But, you know, he came across and he, he was amazing. He picked up where he, he left off with the Vipers, with Coventry trophies and Elite League All-Star team appearances before he's off to, to Europe with the Blaze. And yeah, I, th- I think he's probably one of the one of the better goalkeepers to play in the UK. Definitely of recent years. I, th- I think my main memories of, of Koenig um, before he left playoff final in 2006 and it was, it was so nervy and it was it's often said that it was the dullest game in, in final history i haven't actually seen it since so it's going back how many years now 14 years 14 years now yeah yeah i was there it, it wasn't it wasn't a classic i think anyone yeah. who was there as a neutral would say it wasn't a classic but i think anyone no. who was there as a neutral wouldn't have been supporting the sheffield Steelers anyway yeah. so i think you had a lot of backing that that day that, that that was that was really nice you know kind of kind of winning all year and then being cheered on by nearly every section of you know uh, nottingham arena that game yeah i remember that funny enough just thought about that there it was good it was it was really good I always remember the only thing with Trevor Koenig, he used to come out of his crease sometimes, and he's a little bit shaky when he came out of his crease throughout the season. Always remember, he did that a couple of times. And then Paul Sample, who was a who's a local lad from Whitley Base, scored against him. I think it was down the corner and he, he just put it along the ice. Didn't didn't leave the ice, hit off Koenig's skate and went in and it was one nil Sheffield and oh it was it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Years, years later, it was last year now, I, I bumped into one of the ex-Sheffield players and had a bit chat on. And he said during during that playoff final, a lot of the imports kind of turned on each other and were having a massive argument on the bench during the playoff finals. So that helped. That helped a lot. But it was it was great to, great to see a, a trophy lifted at the end of the day. Well, let's leave Trevor Koenig there and move on to your defence. So defenceman number one, please, Tierney. So defenceman number one is Jonathan Weaver. Jonathan Weaver, great Britain legend and at 43, still playing with the Telford Tigers in the NIHL. Weaver played for the Wasps, the Cobras and the Vipers. And there was another who was part of that playoff winning side in 05-06. But he had four seasons with the Wasps between 92-93 and 95-96. And then four seasons with the Vipers between 03-04 and 06-07. So... Tony, why Jonathan Weaver? I just think Jonathan Weaver is is pretty much in in my book anyway, probably in the top five Brits ever, and I would say definitely in the top two defensemen, British defensemen ever. He started off, as you say, with Durham and the Mosquitoes and Sunderland. They were taught a Czech hockey sort of style, which was way way before before years by the Durham youth coaches who took it on. And yeah, he, he played uh, four seasons and he played in the, the Wasps final ever match versus Nottingham in the playoff semi-final in 96. But over his career, you know, he, he played seven years in the Super League in total. I saw him 
rip us to bits a little bit in years where he went to air Scottish Eagles and he, he managed to get 148 points during the Super League as a Brit. There's a lot of opinions about the, the Super League. You've, you've probably heard yourself. Was it the best ever year of, of British hockey? Was it, the, was it the highest standard? And coming from a rink team and arena team and there was lots of big spending, I think it kind of ruined it, you know, and Brits were kind of few and far between at that point. But Weaver just kind of excelled, you know, as a, as a youngster. He got all the points and then he went to crack the, the East Coast Hockey League and the, the IHL as well. And he, he came back to the Vipers, which was which was fantastic. I think he played for, for Fife just before he came back to the Vipers. And that yeah. night, he ripped us to bits. The quality of him. And I think what's, what's good about Weaver, not so much on a playing level, but, you know, he's another local lad from uh, Sunderland. And it's always nice, you know, to have that local connection. I think it brings you closer to them. And that probably comes from the sort of like Durham community, you know. But you're, you're proud of your local players and to support local hockey. So you've got that factor to him. He obviously, as you mentioned, picked up the playoff title with Koenig with a lot of other titles as well. I think he got about, I think it's maybe 17, 18 titles over his career. Speaking as a Panthers fan, yeah. and someone who saw him play for a couple of seasons, he won four trophies with Nottingham in two seasons, a league, a playoff and two Challenge Cups. So this is a guy who knew how to win trophies. And he was a huge part of Nottingham winning all those trophies in those two seasons. Honestly, yeah. How did you find him in Nottingham a little bit later on in his career? He was just as good for me. He, he was kingpin on the power play. Absolutely incredible. And scored, scored a, a brilliant goal in the playoff final against Belfast, where he pinched him from the blue line and took a one-time shot on the pass from Ling straight in. And it, it was a beautiful, beautiful goal, but a trademark goal of Jonathan Weaver. And, of course, he had a lot of success in Britain, no, no more so than when he was at Coventry Blaze as well. Yeah, he's a great player. I was I was actually looking at the stats the, the other day. Fourth all-time Brit in elite league scoring and fifth overall behind Colin Shields, Ashley Tate, David Clark and, and Jeff Legui. And he's a defenceman. Yeah. Funny enough, he actually came to the Vipers as a, as a left winger and uh, Rob Wilson put him on the D where he's been ever since, predominantly. But he was Mr. Reliable, you know. He had a great hockey mind, as he said, and he, he always seemed to be at the right spot. So his vision, second to none, and, you know, that's shown in his assist record. But Weaver scored one of the coolest goals I've I've ever seen. It was when the Vipers were in the British National League. And he picked up the puck at the blue line um, right next to boards. And the goalie must have been screened by yeah, maybe three, three, four players, all kind of holding each other up. He got the puck and he just passed it into the net, passed it into the opposite side, just inside the post. And I've never seen anything like that, you know. He made it look so easy. The puck didn't even leave the ice, you know. It was it was that sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but honestly, it was the easiest goal. But it was only easy because of his skill, you know. And he, he pulled that off. I remember not cheering the goal. I was just, you know, I turned around and I was looking at my dad thinking, you know, like, whoa, what just happened there, you know. But yeah, what, what a skilled player Weaver was. Jonathan Weaver is your first defenseman. We're going to take a break from the players for a second. And we're going to visit your favourite game. So, Tony, your favourite game in all the time you've been watching. So, I, th- I think favourite game would be from the 2009-10 season, Belfast 5, Newcastle 6. 
Yeah, a game on the 24th of January 2010. The Vipers turning up in Belfast with just nine skaters. Belfast led the game 4-0 and 5-2 before the Vipers came back and won it in overtime 6-5. Michelle Robinson, the Vipers netminder, making 67 saves that night from 72 shots. So, Turney, why particularly is this game your favourite? It was just a case, you know, as the Vipers in the in the later sort of days. And, you know, there was a little bit of money running out and you had, a, you know, a full Belfast side there, you know, stacked full of AHL talent. You had Sean McMorrow that year as the big intimidation factor. And the odds were just totally, totally stacked against us. It was just a massive shock. I, th- I think you said there there were, there were nine skaters and that actually went down during the game. So probably at about 4-0, I think, there was one injury. I think it might have been Ben Campbell. And then Mark Gouet, the defenseman's skate blade, broke during the game. You, you didn't really want that when you've got nine skates. And you've got to remember as well, one of those nine skates was Richie Lawson, the backup netminder. So to go down pretty much six skaters versus a full Belfast lineup where the Vipers hadn't really seen too many great results over the years, you just thought it was disastrous. We're in the bar before the game and, and the players' wives who were there who came on all the away trips with us. You know, everyone was betting on the Vipers to lose, including the players' wives. <laughs> it, was, it was just a great weekend, a shock result. I think there was more fans than players on the ice. There must have been. I think there was about 20 fans over that weekend. Because mm-hmm. people bothered. I, th- I think a lot of people were probably put off by the, the next drubbing, and it, it didn't happen. But funny enough, that, um, that weekend, I, I, I was working at a, a shoe shop, Shoe, the high street chain, must have been just after finishing uni and I switched this shift and went over and so at the time I was having a lot of trouble with my knee and I said oh please can I switch this the shift at the weekend and they're like no 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 need to go to the hospital to, to, to have a, a little look at my leg and see if it's all right so that gives a little bit of a cover for the Monday morning six o'clock flight back to Newcastle got the shift swapped you know having a lovely time in Belfast seeing a couple of friends you know we'll visit Giants Causeway and is it the Crown Pub over there? You know, the gaslit. Yeah, my favourite pub in the world. That one. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Had a nice little pint at, at the Giants Causeway, the Causeway Hotel. I think that's the best yeah. Guinness I've ever had. Not a massive Guinness drinker, but that was lovely. At the Rope Bridge and having a great weekend. And we're in we're in spoons, you know. Obviously, the, the betting's going on. It was the early days of, of mobile sport betting, you know, and, and all of that. Yeah, I was putting a little, you know, a little, a little bet on not too much. I didn't have too much money at the time, which is just as well, to be honest, because I don't know if I would have put my money on the Vipers. I couldn't believe it because, you know, I was having a little little drink there and everyone was having a great time, having a laugh. And one of the manager's family walked in from Shoe. First person they saw was me, and I thought, oh, he would go. So I got back um, to Shoe on the, on, on, the, on the Monday morning, straight into the manager's office. Like, oh, did you have a good weekend? It's like, yeah, it wasn't bad. And I knew what was coming. I knew it. I thought, oh, what am I going to say here? So I just thought I'm going to be truthful. I was like, yeah, it was it was good. You know, I was I was on time for my shift, everything like that. You know, you're, you're in Belfast this weekend? I was like, yeah, I was in Belfast this weekend. Still on time for my shift. They said, have you, have you got anything to say? Because, you know, that, that's that's probably it for a mayor's shoe. I said, yeah, I do. I do have something to say. And I thought, I've got to get something something good out here. I said, I still can't believe the Vipers won 6-5. <laughs> I 
<laughs> and the two managers looked at each other thinking, is, is this guy for real? <laughs> that was that was pretty much the greatest moment of sort of wit or quick thinking I think I've ever had in my life. Came at the right time because, you know, I, I wasn't too bothered about working at you. But yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, it was a uh, great weekend and, and one that I'll probably never forget. <laughs> a, a game worth losing your job for? Yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> I, I was not keen on shoe. I was not keen on shoe. <laughs> okay, I think we'll, we'll leave that there before we get into any more trouble and move on to uh, your second defenseman. So, to complete your blue line partnership, who is defenseman number two? So, defenseman number two is Stephen Cooper. Stephen Cooper, who had two spells with the Wasps and then also a season with the Newcastle River Kings in 98-99. Four championships with the Durham Wasps, one playoff title, one Autumn Cup. Also played for Cardiff, Nottingham, Manchester and Coventry in his career. Nothing short of a blue line legend. So, Tony, over to you. Why Stephen Cooper? So, Stephen Cooper completing, I, I think, the top two defencemen ever. Already mentioned one in, in Weaver, but another Northeast product and local lad. Again, it, it comes from the Durham youth system, possibly the, the best junior development system in the country has probably ever seen. And, and Cooper was a part of that. But just a success over the years, exactly like Weaver, a trademark sort of slap shot, you know, from the from just over the red line, he'd wind up and, and fire one out the blue line. But yeah, just a solid, hard defenseman and th- throughout all the clubs as well. He's playing for Great Britain and a few successes there. Great player. I mean, this, this is another player who, who transcended different eras, but you look at these stats from defence in the British Hockey League, which, let's face it, the standard wasn't as great. You only had three inputs, but 719 points in 435 games in defence. But then when you look at, even look at his ISL stats, 156 games, but still managed 46 points from defence. So he he was a very very solid player. Yeah, yeah. Looking back on 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 Cooper's sort of career, he made his first senior league appearance, age 14 years old, in 1981. So that was around the time Tony Hand was was kind of starting off as well, and a couple of the bigger names that we went on to see in later years. Obviously, Stephen Cooper came with his brother, Ian Cooper, the, the kind of package. And a lot was said, you know, over the years about the success. You know, they went from Durham, uh, where they're winning every trophy. They went down to Cardiff, cleaned up the trophies for a couple of years there, and then came back to Durham. And, you know, same again, just m- even more trophies over, over that the second spell as well. And people just said, you know, if, you, if you've got the Coopers on, this, on your side, you've got your three imports, you've got the two Coopers. That's pretty much five imports because they were that good. That's where a lot of the success came. But around that time, you had so many British players who traditionally played for one club. And that was that was the club for their career, switching to different clubs. And obviously, the Coopers were part of that. John Lawless, when he was setting up the Devils, you know, he recognised how good they were and brought them in to, to set up the Devils, you know. And they were part of... Big success of uh, Cardiff as well. Any old Cardiff fans that are listening and know how good Stephen, as well as Ian Cooper, were back then. Did you say 46 points there in, in the Super League? Yep. You know, one of a handful, really, of British players to, to be really holding their own in the league um, at the time. Great player, solid. You know, he, he wasn't scared to fight. He actually, Durham's 50th anniversary game was a was a friendly, and that, that was organised to play the greatest team in the world at the time, which was classed as Moscow Dynamo, 
from the Soviet Union. So he, he actually dropped his gloves and fought Darius Kasparaitis in Kasparaitis' first ever kind of big game for Moscow at the Riverside Rink. Funny enough, I found out that because my dad had the photos. He was taking them that night. Yeah, great play, solid. Definitely would compliment Weaver. Yeah, great play. And of course, I, I got to see him in one of the final seasons of his career when he was playing for the Panthers in, in what was his final Super League season before he went on to Coventry. And he still had it then, but he was well into his 30s at that point. But he was still had that class and time and elegance on the blue line that he'd had throughout his his whole career. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think he ever lost it. I think actually, yeah, his uh, Coventry days, I think he played one season for them at the end. And I think he had his shirt retired by the Blaze. I'm pretty sure that's... I think that's right. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, so show, shows the impression he made, he made uh, on what, what was a fledgling club then in, in the Coventry Blaze. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's crack on and we'll leave your team. And before we go to the forwards, we'll talk about the player from an opposition team or opposition teams who you would have loved to play for yours but never did. So, Tony, who is the opposition player? So the opposition player, he's been mentioned before, but Tony Hand, MBE. <laughs> Tony Hand, of course, a storied career at Murrayfield, Sheffield, Air, Dundee, Edinburgh, Belfast, and finishing at the Manchester Phoenix. He was also the first British player drafted in the NHL. He's also the top point scorer in British hockey. So is that why you chose Tony Hand, or are there other reasons as well? Pretty much, pretty much. He was always on an opposition side, always on opposition side, and he, he just always seemed to rack up the points against against whichever team I watched. He was just a danger on the ice all of the time. But what a career, you know, he had, as you mentioned, four decades, and he managed to, to rack up, I think it was about, did you say 4,000? Uh, there must be all four. It's for around 4,000 points plus. I, I'm not sure of the exact figure, but it was, let's let's say it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal. And back in the days, he was hitting like 200 points, you know, in the in the Heineken era of British hockey. Just a fantastic talent. And even when he switched to, you know, to coaching with uh, Belfast and Edinburgh, Dundee, he always seemed to bring about a good side. Some, something that I've noticed about him, you know, he always brought in like hard play. So you had Mike Ware back in the day. And he always seemed to carry that forward throughout his um, coaching, play coaching career. And copy that sort of style, you know, but keep them keep them quite on a leash. He, he wasn't one for penalties. Didn't take too many penalties at all or, or, or fight himself. He didn't need to, you know. He was, he was just out there producing. But something something that I, I read in his book about uh, Hand was in the 1980s, what, when you say he was drafted and attended the Oilers training camp, you had the likes of Gretzky and Messier, Yari Curry, Paul Coffey, Essa Teetan and, and Glenn Anderson, whose brother actually went to play for Durham few years later you had this massive sort of star-studded team he was out there and the coach said Tony Hand although he was drafted you know and I think it was like 246 or something like that he so, was a very late draft round 12 252 overall oh, close <laughs> <laughs> close the, the, the coach Glenn Glenn Sather Hall of Famer coach as well I believe said he was second only to one person in thinking and vision on the ice and that was second only to Gretzky so yeah I think even when he was just racking up the assists versus your team and, and things like that, you always thought, you know, like, what a talent that I'm seeing, you know, what a talent. He was a great player. I think I would have loved to have seen him come in as 
play coach for the Vipers in the in the sort of later days of his career. But unfortunately, it never happened. Great, great player. Tony Hand is the player you would have most liked to have seen in your team, but didn't. So that leads us on to the forwards. So, Tony, forward number one. So, forward number one for me is David Longstaff. David Longstaff, who played eight seasons with the Newcastle Vipers between 0203 and 0910. Of course, another one who was part of that playoff team of 0506. But of course, has had lots of success throughout his career playing with Whitley, playing in Guildford, in Sheffield, in Manchester, and of course, a season with Joe Garden in the SHL. So why particularly for you, David Longstaff? So I, th- I think with with uh, David Longstaff, I've seen him play all, pretty much all of my life. Although originally he was the arch enemy playing for Whitley Bay. It's uh, funny how things work, isn't it? But, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember seeing Lobby particularly in the late nineties. That's you know when he when he kind of caught my eye a little bit. And I think he must have been playing for Sheffield at the time and in, in the Super League. And you know I've, I mentioned before about the quality of the Super League, and you know he just stood out, and he would just cause us massive damage. I was sat there as, you know, a kid thinking, like, you know, how, how are these players from the Northeast inflicting so much damage on us? How, how come they're moving, you know? Achievements speak for themselves within the within the British game and abroad. Super League, he's got 168 points in 221 games. It just goes to show how good a player he was. He, he was import quality, and that's what got him the move to Sweden. Yeah, and he, he even held his own in um, in Sweden as well, you know, in the Elite League. I think he, he's probably the maybe first and only British player to, to crack the, the Swedish Elite League, as far as I'm aware. Do, do you know of anyone else? I believe he is, yeah. The, the actual only British-trained player who, who has made it to the SH show. He had a little spell as well in Lausanne and Sierra in the Swiss League. Yeah, seven games in the 2002-03 season just before he came to Newcastle. Yeah, so I think I think Manchester Storm folded. I think at the very start of that season, is that right? And then he then he switched. Up yes, with- he, he, yeah. he played six games for Storm. They folded along with the Scottish Eagles. He moved to Switzerland, and then he left Switzerland after seven games and came back home. I suppose. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, <laughs> I th- yeah, that's right. He came back and then then he went back out to Switzerland and then back for the Vipers again. What a fantastic player, you know, strength, ability, uh, vision. Another one, you know, with, with crack and vision. I think his favourite move always seems to be behind the net. It's massive strength. He, he can't be shoved off the puck. Even this last season with Whitley Bay, exact same style. Cycling the puck in the corner and he's kind of trademark or um, going for a wraparound goal. But yeah, just streets ahead of anyone. I think he's about 44, 45 now but still streets in front of anyone within that league in terms of vision thinking. My favourite favorite memories of, of Lobby are in the Finders Cup final. must have been about, it was about 2003 full season. And he'd been injured. He, he broke both of his ankles in the sort of freak gym accident when he was lifting weights. And he'd been out for months. And no one knew, but there was a total surprise. You know, nothing was mentioned, anything like that. The final was about to happen, you know, without lobby and, and things. And he was announced and he just came skating onto the ice. And I've never known like a, a bigger cheer. It was a big sigh of relief that, you know, we, we got him back. And he went on to score. I think that was against Guildford. Guildford Flames just wiped them. And he scored a couple of goals. 
it was great to have him back on 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 home ice again. And it was a bit sneaky on on the Vipers' part against Guildford, but it was fine. Worked out on the day <laughs> and won the trophy. But it was great. And another one of sort of a, a story about Lobby would just put out um, Belfast Giants in the, the semi-finals in Nottingham of of the, the playoff weekend that we've been talking about. Me and my dad, we're, it's, it's always me and my dad when, when we go to the hockey. We always have and probably always will. And I think I think when we go abroad or to games, everyone's, you know, always ask, oh, how's your dad? Where's your dad? And it's probably within about 30 foot of us, you know, and I'm just... <laughs> It's always been the case, but me and my dad were were at Nottingham. Just about to go back to the hotel room on the night. I don't know. It must have been about half eleven, something like that. It was pretty pretty early, and went to McDonald's. Oh, I don't fancy McDonald's. I'm like, all right then. So, went to McDonald's. When we stood in the queue waiting for me chicken McSandwich, he's lobby and, and Rob Wilson walks in to, to McDonald's and, and gets a Big Mac. Um, and this was on the eve of the of the playoff final, you know. So. Just proof that the Big Mac is a food of a champion, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just just something daft, you know, um, like that. But it was it was just hilarious to see professional players and you know having having the Matty D's with the Monopoly, you know, the Monopoly stickers. The next day we we sang Sheffield two one, and I, I've touched on it about you know getting slaughtered by um, some teams in the, in the Newcastle Cobras and River Kings jesters, all of that, and. I'd always had a massive dislike for Sheffield and kind of still do to this day. <laughs> You're not on your own there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's one or two about, oh, I'd always hated them. I think the first thing that Sheffield ever do upset us, apart from thrashing us so many times in in the games, you know, in the following years, was they won the league. I think it was the first ever time they won the league and they brought all the fans to Durham. And me and my dad were at Durham that night, along uh, I think along with my mum as well. And you had a queue at Durham from maybe two o'clock, half past two on a you know a Saturday, Sunday afternoon to get in for a, a half six face off. My dad would go up in a Durham and I'd, I'd go with him to Durham. My mum would stay in the queue. Then they'd come down after an hour and switch over. Kept on doing that until you got into the rink. We got all the way at the front of the queue. And by that time, it was known that the, the attendances were far outstripping the capacity, which I, which I touched on. They actually got the fire brigade in, <laughs> um, the council to monitor the attendances. And Sheffield brought that many fans up that game who got into the rink before us. So there's so many Sheffield fans knocking about that that night that we were actually the first ones to get turned away. And I went home and I cried my eyes out all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's always stuck with us. So with the thrashings, the countless thrashings over the years, and I always remember going into that playoff final thinking, oh, you know what, I kind of want to avoid Cardiff because we've just, you know, we've got part of them that might have a little bit of an edge over us. I really wanted us to get Sheffield in the final because I thought how sweet would it be to beat Sheffield in in the final and lift the trophy. And it was a pretty tall order, but it happened. Oh, it, was, it was a fantastic day. Well, that leads us on to your goal quite beautifully. So what is your favourite goal? So the favourite goal was Lobby. It was one all at the time Payet had scored. Payet back then was was fantastic. You know, he's a complete power forward. When he played for Coventry in the first couple of seasons at the Vipers, he was, he was pretty much unstoppable, you know. He's great character and entertainment to watch on the ice. He just scored, level things up, 1-1 after Paul Sample had scored. And shortly after, not too long after, I can always just picture Lobby sort of standing, leaning over Jody Lehman, and he managed to cram the puck in past Lehman 
and he was trying to keep his feet outside of the crease, leaning onto the crossbar. And it went in. As soon as everyone kind of realised that it was in, it, it just went wild. He thought, oh, maybe maybe we're going to get this trophy. And it was oh, it felt like an eternity before the, the buzzer went. But yeah, well, well, that goal was scored at 32-14, 12-14 into the second period. And that was it for scoring. And you clung on, I seem to remember, to the bitter end in that one. Yeah, you're totally right on that. I mean, we didn't we didn't have that much success as a hockey region, <laughs> you know, in, in those kind of years. So it was it was nice to nice to finally get the win back. And remember, it was so long, you know, no goals or, or to hang on for. It was it was brilliant. And at the end of the game, and I always remember going over the bench and everyone was celebrating and things like that. And I actually got Lobby's stick from that game and um, that he scored with. So that's like a, another one of of the prized possessions of. A little hearty collection and a great memory, you know, to, to, to go with that. You need to get on off the ice on free sports with all this memorabilia <laughs> that you've got. <laughs> okay, much, let's, let's carry on with your forward line. So forward number two. So forward number two is Mike Blaisdell. Mike Blaisdell, who played for the Durham Wasps between the 1991 season and 92-93 season. Two championships, one playoff, one Autumn Cup. And, of course, he also amassed 343 games in the National Hockey League. He was also player coach at Nottingham and a coach at Sheffield. So why particularly Mike Blaisdell? So Blaisdell was my original favourite player as a kid. Going along to Durham, absolutely idolised him. I've obviously told you a little bit earlier on about the, the Castleton Cup final, 92, in the in the changing room. But I can just remember cheering him on, you know, and cheering away with my mum and dad by by either side of us. He was just just a complete player with, with the skill and experience. I think experience is probably the word I, I would probably describe Blaisdell with, you know. He had a career in the NHL, Toronto, Detroit, New York Rangers, Pittsburgh. So he had a few teams and a few seasons there. And he actually led the scoring as well in Detroit in the early 80s. But he came over to Durham and Durham had a lot of um, imports for a few years. There was uh, the Smiths who who ran Durham. And for the import sort of side of things, if you weren't a good import or you, you might be going through a bit of a rough patch, that was it. You know, you were gone. And, and Blazer lasted, I think, three seasons, the Wasps. And he put up some amazing points, scored some pivotal goals. He's just like a hard worker. But you look at the, the tapes and the DVDs now that I grew up watching all the time, really. They're always on repeat. I'm not, not surprised they're not worn out or anything like that. He was tough as well. So if you had Blizzard, you had the experience, you had the goal scoring. There was a really famous moment. If you look on YouTube, type in Mike Blaisdell, Castle Eden Cup, and anything like that. And, and you see him um, in the middle of a brawl and he takes on Mark Pallister, who was a was a big, big... Mm-hmm. He was another local lad. I think he was playing for Billingham. Billingham Bombers. It was Cleveland Bombers. That's, that's Gary, pa- Gary Pallister's cousin, I believe. Yeah. Gary Pallister of Manchester United in England. Mm. Middlesbrough, I believe he played for as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was his relation and he was a big, big lad. And he was pretty notorious, you know, in the in the 90s, even as a young lad. But, yeah, went up against him and, and just kind of destroyed him, you know. And many people would muck about with Blaisdell. But yeah, just one of the most sort of complete players I think that has played in Britain. Obviously, he went on to play for Nottingham in, in the couple of years after. And so it was good to see him then. I, I still loved him, but it was just so odd seeing him play for, for a different side 
then he obviously went and played for Sheffield as well. He was player coach for Sheffield. Yeah, so playing for Nottingham and Sheffield. Oh, I loved him so much, it doesn't take the shine off. <laughs> <laughs> but original, original favourite player of mine as a, a kid. Lovely stories about Mike Blaisdell there. And we'll move on to your final forward, your final player in your team. So, Tony, who is forward number three? So I've gone for a little bit of a, a little bit of a different one. I thought I'd I'd have a, a more modern one, someone I enjoyed watching, who is Matus Patrico. Matus Patrico played two spells with the Vipers in 05-06, another one as part of that playoff winning side, and again in 09-10. Had 100 games for 41 plus 62 for 103 points in all competitions, and of course also played for Bracknell, Nottingham and Cardiff in this country. So why Matus Patrico? I, th- I think he just produced wherever he went. Wherever you saw him in, in, the, in the UK game, he just produced. And I, I remember him playing at Bracknell just before he signed for the Vipers. Absolutely ripped us apart in, in the 2004-05 season. And he had some great players around him that year. He had uh, Martin Massa, Smittle, Peter Campbell, Mark Richardson, a young Mark Richardson, and a, a young Danny Myers as well. It's Greg Owen, and, you know, they, they smashed us. And I think they could have been a elite league side, actually, that season rather than in the British National League. He was so good, nicknamed uh, the Slovakian Express. I think a bit daft. Sounds a bit Dave Sims, you know, for... for <laughs> um, it's, you, you could just hear him screeching it over the um, Sheffield Arena microphone, couldn't you? He was handpicked by, by Rob Wilson and the Vipers as one of the best on the BNL to make the step up to the Elite League for the, the Vipers' first ever year and that. And he always seemed to, you know, to play well. And he had a bit of an edge to his game. And I just remember him as being quite competitive and reliable. Obviously, you mentioned it was 103 points there. So it's, you know, just over a point. Well, point a game, isn't it? So, yeah, he always seemed to reduce, always got a point. He was part of that that um, playoff winning team. And even in, in the second spell when he came back, when, you know, the Vipers were maybe fading a little bit in 2009-10, he was pretty much as good. I was surprised he returned, to be honest, later on. He's just a player I was enjoyed watching and you know a little bit of a newer player and I remember him leaving the first time for for Nottingham when all of our players got kind of handpicked the season after you know we'd done so well he's just a just a good play he came to Nottingham straight after didn't he and then and then what do you make of him at Nottingham yeah good player Andy Haywood, who, of course, has been on this show before. I was surprised he didn't pick him for his team because I know he was a big admirer of Matos Patrico when he was at Nottingham. Yeah, he's he's, he's a great player. You know, you, you see these players come and go and return with the Devils, I think, at the season after Nottingham. And he was just he was just pivotal, pivotal goals um, during the 05 or 06 season. And he was solid when he came in the playoffs. He was, uh, he was great. And... I can always remember something with Patrico. I think it's it's not playoff or anything like that. But he was playing in, in Nottingham one night. And I talk about the edge that he kind of played with. You know, he was a big sort of big unit, wasn't he? And I always remember, I think it was him and Danny Myers near the, the penalty boxes. At the. Uh... It was Matthew Myers. Matthew Myers, was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, know, I know, know which incident you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And all I can remember is it all just kicking off a bit afterwards and he stamped on Matthew Myers, didn't he? <laughs> what, what do you remember from that? Just, just it all kicking. Yeah, up? I just, I just remember yeah. a lucky. 
did he just do that? Did he just stamp on him? And then obviously when everybody realized the crowd went wild and he, he got chucked out of the game. And then he was playing for us the season after on the same team as Matthew Myers and always forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, he went on to win the uh, the playoffs, didn't he? That season with you? Was that? Uh, yes, that's right. I wonder how many players went on to win, you know, double, even treble. I don't know if there's a treble one, but double playoff championship. Would be interesting to find out. Payet would have been one. Patrico would have been one. Krychek and, and Krychek, yes, with the uh, Vipers and Nottingham as well. Yeah, yeah. He was another great player that though over the years, and quite a lot of people would have. Just one of the most complete defensemen, I think. That that's been over here for the team played with. Okay, so that completes your team, which is netminder Trevor Koenig in defence, Jonathan Weaver and Stephen Cooper. And then the forwards are David Longstaff, Mike Blaisdell and Matush Pacheco. That looks a pretty formidable line you picked there, Tony. Yeah, you, you, I don't know. You probably look at the points and the, all the trophies and individual honours. I, I, think, I think we're on a winner on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get to your moment, uh, just... The honourable mention. So, who are the players who you seriously considered for your team? So, seriously considered would be Stephen Foster, who played for the Wasps and Cobras, River Kings. He was always around and he's a cracking netminder. I think he was the youngest goalie to win a, a major trophy as well. Stephen Foster was there or thereabouts for netminder. Also, Rick Brabant. Rick Brabant just missed out, but I think he was a meaning of the word compete, you know, going off the chart and the in the 1980s sort of game, you know, we saw plenty of them as well, playing for, playing for Newcastle after. Um, he's definitely one of the, the great imports of the British game to come over here. And I think a little bit left field, but, you know, I, I do like a fight. I do like a bit of the violence. I, I, I used to love Jeremy Cornish, presented the Vipers, and I just think he, he had a lot of heart to him and he, he really looked after his teammates. And so maybe he was a bit of an unsung hero. A player who is very highly spoken of throughout the game by teammates who, who played with him, Jeremy Cornish. I'm I'm not surprised. Like you know, genuinely nice guy, and just put his heart and soul into his job. Great entertainer, great fighter. Great to watch him for the for the couple of years he was at he was at Newcastle. And one other that I'd probably highlight from from later is Danny Stewart, player coach of of the Vipers in the last ever season. What a job he had. He brought a group of players together for, I believe it was the first time, and it was an even smaller group by the end of that season. And he managed just to get a real team spirit going as the club was kind of slowly sort of ebbing away and, and eventually vanished. And he was left with few imports and a core of Northeast lads. We got some batterings that year, absolute batterings <laughs> around away, away venues, selling raffle tickets, you know, just to just to keep the club alive. And I tell you what, mind, during that sort of period when we're selling the raffle tickets and you know, trying to trying to get any money to the club to keep it going, um, there's, you know, a, a big group of us doing that. And all of the fans around Britain really helped. And I thought that was fantastic. You know, everyone just dug deep, wished us all the best. That was that was a fantastic time. But Danny Stewart during that was brilliant. And he, he got so much out. Of, of what he had to work with, you know, in, in the local lads. And towards the end of the season, when everything was going, we got some, like, big wins, um, which were lovely, you know, against the likes in Nottingham. I think it was a 6-5 against Nottingham. And a, I think we beat Belfast as well once or twice in that last season. It was just, couldn't make it up, could you? <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, he he deserves a mention as well, I think. But there's so many players over the years that I've seen picking picking this top five has been tough, been really tough. But yeah, there you go. Before we move on to your your moment, you are in the process of writing a book about the Durham Wasps. Conducted a few interviews, so how's that going? It's it's, it's going well. It's been put on hold a little while. It's just so much on lately. But I, th- I think when did I start? Three years ago now. Yeah, just over three years ago. And I've managed to speak to absolute heroes. You know, when when I was growing up and. Got, got their opinions on the game and players and, every, you know, all these little experiences. And I like the social history that it brings, like that sort of personal touch. And I think recording that's quite important, especially with a such a such a cult club, you know, um, such a famous. I think it's a shame, you know, that hasn't been done. But by far, it is one of the hardest things I've ever done. It is so tough, you know, you doubt yourself about your writing and, and all of this. But some of the stories are fantastic in the experiences that, players have had playing for the for the wasps so get a move on with that soon hopefully and and get it out there well let's move on to your favorite moment so Tony, your favorite moment in all the years that you have been watching hockey in the northeast i think my favorite moment was actually playing for the vipers in shuggy's testimonial versus sort of like northeast all-stars and and wasps so this was in February 2008 at Sean Johnson's testimonial. You, I believe, paid money to be part of the roster as part of the testimonial, and you scored the first goal. Yeah, unbeknown to me, my dad had had a, had a word um, with the club, you know, how they do all these things, and I didn't actually know that, that I was doing any of this, and he kept it a massive secret and got up one morning, went down for breakfast, like, oh, yeah, you're playing for the playing for the Vipers tonight? And you what? And um, he said, are oh, you, you you're going to be playing for the Vipers tonight? You're going to enjoy it, aren't you? And honestly, I was I was horrified. <laughs> totally, totally out of my depth. But then again, when you, you know, when you look back, it, it was a, it was a memory that popped up on, on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that the other day, funny enough, and playing on a, a Vipers side that I was supporting against all of these ex-players. You know, you had Stephen Foster in goal, you had Mike O'Connor in defence, Mario Belanger twinned with um, Kevin Conway. They were all on the ice. Paul Smith was there, and Damien Smith, all these sort of like massive, massive, you know, names that I'd grown up watching. I always remember Mike O'Connor, a bit of a naff pass um, from defence. They got picked up one by, I think it was, was that Andre Payette or um, Dean Holland, Ben Campbell. Anyway, it came to me and I just I didn't know what to do. I kind of froze up and I got me stick to it was just in front of us really sort of uh, it was a really stretched sort of um, shot. And from my view, you can't really see it on the on the on the camera of this clip, but the whole goal was pretty much wide open and I managed to get it on on target and it just went through Stephen Foster coming over and and I scored and just couldn't believe it, could not believe it and the the arena, the Metro Arena that night was it was packed. There was about three three and a half thousand people in there. You know the wasps all the way up to the to the Vipers. It was a really big. It was probably the the last really big northeast attendance. So to do it in front of all my friends and family and me grandma was there that night and it was fantastic. But when the when the puck went in, it was just unbelievable feeling. I got up and Payette's coming towards us with his arms in the air and yeah, so. It was, it was, it was a, I was totally out of my depth, I must say. Totally, totally out of my depth. 
but it was um it was a, it was a good memory and I, I got loads of stick over the years how it was a rubbish goal and how lucky I was to get the goal but someone said on on Twitter the other day you know what a what a memory to have you know stepping out there and playing against the heroes of your past and alongside a team you supported and yeah so it was it was a it was a great great memory to have <laughs> absolutely fantastic what and what a memory to have not only to get on the ice with your team but to score a goal as well <laughs> uh, Tony it has been an absolute pleasure thanks for sharing your team with us yeah no yeah no no problem it's been uh, been fantastic coming on and I'm looking forward to see who the next person is <laughs> Well, you can find out who the next person is very soon. We will be back with the next edition of My Top Line very soon. From us all, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.